to Love in the Time of Chasmosaurs, the podcast, the audio supplements to our blog of the same name about the science, art, and popular culture of mostly Mesozoic life. I'm Nati. I'm Mark. And I'm Niels. Episode 30 is another of our by now annual TedzuCon special, wherein we debrief, as best we may, our impressions of the Tetrapod Zoology Conference 2023, held at King's College's Bush House in London earlier this month. As before, we also have several short interviews with some of the attendees, most of whom it might be pertinent to add, we are already attempting to secure for our proper full-length interviews in the new year. But before we launch straight into our Tetsukon chatter, um, this being the end of the year when all such lists are especially de rigueur, I just want to give a quick shout to Riley Black's article of the Top 10 Dinosaur Discoveries of 2023, published in Smithsonian Magazine last week. The list includes perhaps the most popular news item for December, that of the young Gorgosaurus, whose last meal was discovered to be the Oviraptorosaur Cetipes elegans. Its hind legs, to be precise. A suggestion that saurian or mammalian alike, some of us are rather partial to drumsticks. <laughs> Something worth recalling when next you tuck in to a roast turkey, perhaps. As ever, a link to Riley's article will be included in our show notes. But now, let us straight on to our Tetsukon special. Yeah. Where would we like to start? I, I think the first thing to say is... It was the biggest so far. Every year seems to be the biggest so far. This time there were, well, really three and a half days of Tetsukon, so it was pretty intensive. Let's first get the, well, the sauropod in the room out of the way. Uh, it's the one <laughs> thing everybody talks about. The air conditioning. Oh, the air conditioning. Last year it was far too hot, <laughs> and this year it was really cold. It's the point where everyone's wearing coats and still shivering in there. I don't know how they managed it. <laughs> it's a bit of an ecological catastrophe, that lecture theatre. <laughs> Not even our collective warmth made up no. for it. No. So the main thing is, for the first time ever, there was a Friday evening event. And I would say about half the attendees were there. So that was a good way to uh, say hi to quite a few people. Have a bit of a taste of what was in store. Yeah. Both uh, good and cold. Before <laughs> we went, we did go to the uh, NHM, all three of us. Many, uh, yes. many Tetsukon people were there. Yeah, although not always aware of each exactly. other. I mean, I walked around blissfully unaware of anyone else being there at no. the same time. <laughs> I, I did run into quite a few, actually, um, which was nice. A pleasant yeah, surprise. I ran into Unity. You certainly did, yeah. yes. Yeah, so we, we went to the NHM and then we had dinner. And then we went to Bush House where there was the talk about extinctions, um, which went into some slightly wacky places involving AI-generated nightmares at the end, which... Okay, so let's let's break this down, shall we? Go on, then. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Clara de Massol de Ribets, probably butcher that name, and Amy Cutler, who is the artist and cultural geographer. Clara was the one who was the memory researcher, sort of an uh, anthropology point of view. And then uh, Darren himself and Aidan Williamsdale, who came into that panel discussion from more of a scientific uh, point of view. Yes, I could follow that bit. When it got to the cultural geography and so on, I was slightly lost. Well, uh, I like to think that uh, being a philosophy major, my tolerance for the, the slightly more esoteric side of the humanities is a bit higher than that of most people in the room. 
you do lose me the moment you start with AI. Boo, AI, boo. Yeah, that was... Um... <laughs> Especially when the room is full of paleo artists. Well, that's it. It, it was room. A, a disappointing moment in, in what was otherwise a, a really engaging talk. I think I it think. was interesting. Um, I think uh, the anthropologist Clara, who talked about memory and ways to sort of ritualize uh, uh, grief around climate change and mass extinctions, I think there is something powerful mm. in that, and um, I, I think it is too easy to uh, to dismiss that. And um, engaging with mass extinction in in a more artistic way, I think there's a lot of value to that. Yes. To me, AI is the anathema of art. It is the opposite of art. It, it frankly, it it gave me a visceral reaction. Oof, that that bad, eh? Well, mm. yes. I think was it Amy was the speaker you said yes. for this one. Yes. Well, I think from Amy's perspective, it was because because she's talking about collective grief. Um, I suppose the AI was meant to be at the service of this distillation, this algorithmic uh, collection of things that in some way kind of mirrors the, the collective responses that we all have. And, and I suppose I can see why... why, why why she made that choice to to incorporate AI into her um what what do we call it her um presentation her animation at the end I suppose I can understand why she did that but as you say Niels I mean I don't have to, to articulate here how how much um, the use and the abuse of AI um, has become a real uh, pain, <laughs> for want of any better description, a real pain yeah. for me and for a great many other artists. So I won't labor that point here, but yeah. all I'm saying is I suppose, I suppose I could understand why she chose for that For goodness method. sake, pay an artist to make you something nice. <laughs> there you go, you've been It doesn't been told. have to be expensive. No. I was going to say that Darren mentioned, he talked about local extinctions, how all extinctions start off as small local events before, I know, and they can be yes, tied yes, into yes, part yes. of that a bigger global yes. issue. Yeah, there you go. That's, uh, and no, no AI involved in that, so you don't have to hate on Darren. I'm not uh, hating on anyone. <laughs> no, 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 I'm no, hating no, okay. on an algorithm. I'm hating on an unfeeling machine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've got it out of my system now. I'm Yes, chill. we could go to Saturday, perhaps... This year's con had a bit of a marine reptiles, a very much a marine reptile theme. So the yes, first, Saturday. Yes, the first is. talk was Judith Sassoon on plesiosaur semiotics. And it was followed by a talk on Temnodontosaurus. Although I think at that point I'd gone to see Louis Ray um, talk about much so the same stuff as previously. Um, sorry, Louis, but I was filling in my Louis Ray bingo card. They told, they told me I was crazy, but who's crazy now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but of course, we, we've been to like every, almost every Tetsucon. And so, of course, we've seen Louise talk before about this stuff. But not everyone there had, but a lot of people there it was their first one. And yes, Louise is always game and always very entertaining to listen to, even if you had some before. Yes. Oh, I, I adore so, Louise. Yes. We all like Louise. Yes. And as it happens, as it happens, he also mentioned the use of uh, generative AI. So uh, 
our forgoing yeah. conversation was pertinent. And uh, also, I I remember um, kind of going off on one uh, in that room as well. So I, I am going over the same <laughs> you, you did. Oh, boy. <laughs> that I saw Louis Ray, it meant the, because for the first time this year, there were multiple strands going on at the same time. So you had to make choices and miss stuff, which was painful in some cases. Yeah. This this is what I I was not happy with. I must be honest here because um, again I said in our last episode that I I do understand that because it's so much bigger now, and uh, giving um, the attendees the choices as to the subjects that they're most interested in is a great idea. But it does mean that for some of us, <laughs> some of the filthy generalists among us who are interested in in all of them, um, we had to make some very tough choices, which I was very unhappy about. Um, and there were many yeah. things that I, by default, had to miss so that I could hear something else. Because we, we glanced over do this soon fairly quickly, but I really enjoyed that talk. That was really good. Yes. The, the naming of plesiosaurs and the whole story behind it. And uh, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was good. I, I like that too. Again, as a humanities person, I enjoyed that very much. I said um, that I missed the two other talks in the morning. I mean, one of them was Darren, the news on ancient sea reptiles, I guess, tying in with his book, which I do have. And the other one was Emily Swab, Swabby, <laughs> Emily Swab, Swab, Swabby, 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 um, on Temnodontosaurus crassimanus, which is a really cool ichthyosaur that's really big and got big teeth and rar, and um, it's one of my favourites to see in, you know, in museums. It's just spectacular saw so miss that i mean fortunately um there was dean lomax spoilers yeah. coming later who also talked about turning on albeit a different species of course yeah but yeah exactly so i, I know it's I think quite we all missed those two um yeah i think we're all in the louis ray room we're all in there yeah so but was... you know i think <laughs> at the end of the day we're paleo art people so that's where we should I be. so <laughs> maybe we should just put up. yeah i think um, we made the right decision even if it was a painful one. I did go the other way in the afternoon and I saw the talks um, in the lecture theatre. So Amber Cost. Amber Cost. Oh, Coast. Amber Cost. <laughs> I don't know anyone's names. Um, about extinct dolphins and their weird dentition. And yeah, that was really good as well. That was very fascinating. I had absolutely no idea. Yeah, any I of that missed stuff. that one, and unfortunately. That, that is what I... Um, did miss a little bit in this text you've got compared with previous ones, just because the previous ones are just one strand. So you just basically listen to all the talks and it was often quite esoteric and you would um, be, but therefore be exposed to things you would necessarily, well, not necessarily opt to go and see, but because you were there and happened to, you know, happened to be there, you, you listened and it turned out they're actually a lot more interesting than you might have otherwise thought. And I think the extinct dolphins were such a thing for me. I was, yes, found that really intriguing talk. I was fascinated. I was fascinated. Ancient dolphins, really cool. Loved it. And entertainingly presented, um, as was the talk by um, Hannah Ayub following that, which was all about basically um, science communication, essentially. And that's great too. So, Nati, tell us what you did on Saturday afternoon. Yes, I did go to the uh, Paint Apply Saw event. Uh, It was led by uh, James Pascoe which I think everybody, from what I could see, really enjoyed. Um, there were a lot of familiar paleo artists as well as plenty of other people um, I didn't know and collectors, I would imagine, because this was, um, we were each given a box uh, which contained, as the uh, event title suggested, a little 3D printed pliosaur which we could then paint. And I think everybody had a great time. You know, people just painted however they liked the, the, this little pliosaur. 
I unfortunately didn't stay for it. I, I went in uh, just to have a general view of what the event was like. Um, I didn't stay chiefly because it is impossible for me to uh, accomplish anything within an hour or two. And there was no way I was going to paint that plyosaur within that time. Uh, it wasn't even worth my beginning one. So I really was just there to observe proceedings. And then, and then uh, sadly, I had to... Um, slip away to, to to catch my breath more or less but we all made it to because it was the only one on at the time <laughs> dean lomax's talk uh, about the rutland sea dragon which i mentioned i read the star billing <laughs> star billing i mentioned i read the paper that dean <laughs> co-authored um which is open access so i can't remember was it last episode or the one before um, yes yeah and this well we yes and we 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 covered its um publication yeah. a few episodes back yeah and we, so we covered it before the podcast as um well. so we're quite familiar with this subject so rutland water the giant ichthyosaur found there so this was essentially like a, a presentation about as much the same subject as the paper so it's about how well they unearthed it they how it's found how the team went down there and excavated the thing the whole process involved which is great it was great fun i mean dean's um obviously quite an accomplished presenter these days so he's good at engaging an audience i really enjoyed it and it did inspire me to finally buy a copy of locked in time and get it signed by both dean and bob nichols who is the artist and i've read quite a lot of that on the train recently and it is a good book recommend it um very accessible while also being accurate and of course <laughs> i mean it's dean and succinct naturally bob's artwork adds a great deal of um of interest flair to it so definitely worth buying that one if you haven't already i know i'm two years late uh but yeah um really entertaining presentation although the little jokes thrown in and uh yes yeah, stuff about the team members about personalizing it it was it was fun and then after that i went and watched um stephen Alain talking about mid midwife toads not midlife yes. toads but midwife to like angry uh, middle-aged men but midlife toads <laughs> My wife, midwife toads. That's so, an easy mistake to yes. polar bear syndrome. Midwife toads. So going around finding out where they are and in the UK and where they're breeding um, and cataloging them and so on. Because it was, um, yeah, which is interesting talk. Well, what I found uh, especially noteworthy was how much work Steve just did in his free time on that. And how he has become sort of single-handedly the main authority on midwife toads in, in Great Britain just by looking at them in his spare time and, you know, getting a bit of citizen science going. I really respect that. That yes. was great. And if anyone doesn't know about midwife toads, they are not native to the UK, but they've been introduced and they don't seem to be having too much of an impact on local ecology. The main thing with invasive amphibians is that they might carry funguses and diseases and these yes. British midwife toads don't seem to. So No, that was a key point of the talk, that they were finding them and testing them and trying to see if they had these um, obviously dangerous diseases fungi and they don't they don't carry them so that's good news not um spreading diseases to the local amphibians so that was good yeah. news good news uh did mean that meant i missed the marine reptiles panel was, it, was anyone at that the marine reptile panel you weren't Niels. no Theory unfortunately wasn't. not no i i was with the um I was in the midwife toad talk as well, so no, I didn't see. Oh, uh, we we all love midwife toads. So there you go, Stephen. We all we're all about the well, midwife toads now. Um, yeah, we love <laughs> this. Them. Is, this is an uh, this is the midwife toad podcast now. Loving the time of midwife toads. Yeah, loving the time of midwife toads. Excellent. Midlife toads. 
midwife call the midwife toads. We have our own midwife crisis now. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Christ. And yeah, so we missed the Marine Raptor panel again, which I'd like to have seen, but never mind. And then there was the cosplay judging for like the five or six people who turned up in cosplay. And th- no, hang on, uh, I did go to the cosplay judging. Did you? Okay. Yeah, it was very cold, but uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I I did go and uh, I I had I had fun with it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. I really enjoyed the the few people who turned up in cosplay. They won by default. Was there anyone they? that you were cheering on particularly? Because I I really liked. Um... Uh, Bex's um, this Rebecca Groom. This is uh, of Paleo Plushies. I really liked Bex's um, thylacine mask and paws, and I think I was cheering her on, even though I didn't go to to the judging. But was there anyone yeah. you had your money on, Niels? She was uh, single handedly trying to turn Tetsukon into a furry con. Uh, oh dear! <laughs> <laughs> oh no! No. She she did mention she was kind of disappointed that she was the only one. So. Uh, <laughs> If you're listening to this and you plan on going to Tetsukon next year, you know what to do. I really like Melissa's uh, steampunk Mary Anning. Oh, that sounds cool. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. That sounds intriguing. That sounds yeah, cool, she actually. was steampunk Mary Anning. That was great. I want to mention, obviously, there were lots of, um, there's a bit of a gallery set up in the, um, what do you call it? The, the space with, you know, the sort of breakout space with the stalls and everything where people are selling merchandise. There's a bit of a gallery there. And in the evening, yeah. we all grab drinks as and then usual. we could, yeah, as usual. And we could all peruse the gallery. And so there's several artists there, paleo artists, of course. Yeah. Um, there were some people there whom uh, I hadn't seen in a while, people who were there for the first time, people who are there always, like Mark Witten. Yes. Like, and uh, Joshua Canupo, of course. And Jed. Jed. And Jed. Jed Taylor. I had a really nice chat with um stavros svensson kudra mccallis i was going to mention him yeah yeah um i can't say his last name kundra mccallis i suppose um sorry if i butchered that kulinda dromaeus kulinda dromaeus yeah stavros svensson kulinda dromaeus uh (laughs) so it's never going to listen to us again now no, oh, no, I, no. But I had a really nice chat with Stavros. Um, I, know, I don't think I've spoken to him before, and so Agatha and I had a really good chat with Stavros. Really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, I like his work. Well, hopefully, we can get him on at some point um, and feature his work on yeah. the blog and or podcast. Uh, you know, he's far from the only one. There were lots of vendors whose work I really liked, and uh, there's a few who uh, who I'd love to have on the podcast at some point. Yes, we should move on to the second day where things started to go a bit wrong because it did go very wrong. In all manner of ways. No, yeah, it, it went wrong. So, for start, you were ill, Nitty, which was terrible. Um, well, this is it. <laughs> well, this is it. Um, I just want to get this out of the way quickly, but I did have to bail by lunchtime on the second day because I was starting to feel unwell. And in the event, it did turn out to be the big C COVID itself, which, um, <laughs> given that I had both encouraged masking on the Tetsukon Facebook page and was myself masked throughout, um, was something of a self-fulfilling tragic comedy. <laughs> uh, it was very unfair. Um, yeah. I not only had to cut things short that day, um, but it also meant that I, of course, missed the evening's post-conference celebrations and I couldn't make it to the zoo trip on the following day. And I had to cancel a number of other plans in, yeah. in the, the days following. So uh, truth be told, I'm still very bitter indeed. I will probably resent this for some time yet. But but I 
I hope you will allow me this. I will take what comfort I can in the knowledge that I prevented the spread of the illness further by by masking and by then absenting myself when I did start to feel unwell. So you did very yeah, standard, yeah. I you suppose. probably prevented the, you probably didn't spread it to people because of the masking and yeah. It was were. a good thing. It was, it was a good thing I went away. Yeah. Um. So. um other things went wrong too. The AV equipment went wrong <laughs> in the main lecture theatre. Yeah. They're not blaming the organisers or anything for that at all, not their fault, but it meant that there was a bit of chaos for a while. And happenstance. Yeah, and things switch rooms, and I ended up missing a talk I really wanted to see, which was Jennifer Campbell-Smith um, about the crows, cautious crows, how to trick corpses. Yes. And to let you study them. Indeed. This, this one I did go to. Um, Jennifer Campbell-Smith, by the way, um, is another online friend whom I've known for, for many years, actually. Um, and we'd only met here for the first time at Tetsucon. And um, she uh, was as kind as she has been uh, online throughout and is a wonderful person to talk to. And she gave a fantastic talk on how to trick corbids into letting you study them. Um, she's a great natural speaker and engaging all throughout. Um, I really enjoyed that, and and you know, everybody loves corvids, yeah, yeah, and and the fact that they're just maddeningly intelligent and um, and um, my, my <laughs> perhaps my favorite um, bit of the talk um, that Jennifer gave was how her observation that uh, teenager crows. Um, <laughs> are a lot like human teenagers in that they are very often impervious to example and you will try to teach them something and it's not that they're incapable of learning but they just ignore you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i just thought that was that was fantastic um, yeah so um uh, and jennifer gave the example that um there were these uh, specific uh i i don't remember the species but um of of um excuse me brain fog um hermit crabs there we go these hermit crabs that um required your what the crows would do what the the, the grown-up and experienced crows would do would be to knock the back of the shells off um make a hole in the back of the shell which meant that the the hermit crab within would obviously would scurry out in order to find a new home. And in so doing, that's when the crow has a chance to grab its snack. Um, but the, the teenager crows just could not learn this for a long while. And Jennifer and her team had to demonstrate this whole process by hand. So they had to pick up a whole bunch of, of these hermit crabs and, and actually um, uh, knock the holes out for them. Um, and and repeat the process um, for several times until the teenagers were finally able to 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 until they to, to got learn it. this and um, yeah until they got it because they just weren't taking the example from their own kin at all <laughs> but that was my favorite part of it one of them anyway yeah I did see that bit I I did catch the the tail end of that after spending a considerable amount of time just finding out where it was. Yeah, I missed it, which I was annoyed about. But I did get to see Luke Muscat, I think it's pronounced Muscat, but God help me, uh, talking about the swimming predecessor robot that he and a team constructed. And the uh, coup de grace was the fact that the robot was in there and he was able to give practical demonstration and even invite a couple of kids down from the audience and they could uh, sort of play around, well, activate the flippers one of whom was abby um who uh, was our yes. interviewee from last year 
Yes, so it's Abby last year. I only know that Abby took part in the in the radio control. Please, you saw because um, Luke himself posted a clip of this on his social media, um, which brings me to say that um, although uh, for those of us who who missed his talk or those of us who weren't attended to Cornwall together, um, the the very happy thing is that Luke and his team did film um, his session, and it is available uh, on on YouTube. And, uh, and we will, again, include a link to this in the show notes. So that's, that's a very happy thing. So although I, I didn't make it myself to Luke's talk, um, I will be catching up on that later. And so can you. Yes, we don't have to describe it so much because you can just go and watch it. So there you go. Enjoy. Lots of research into the way that the, um, the vortices and the way that they would interact, the two pairs of flippers. Um, but yeah, you can go and watch it, so I don't have to bother explaining it. Hooray, laziness. Um, well, but we can just say that, that the robot is beautiful yes. and, and it works beautifully. Um, that's it. <laughs> it does, and it's just the first stage, really. I mean, it took them a very long time to develop, but they are pressing on and they're going to work on it. Because, obviously, it can go in a straight line, but it can't turn. Um, it's, it's more like a prototype. So they're continuing the research on that, and we can expect... Amazing things, I'm sure. It'll be quite exciting to sort of come out with the next. Yeah. Um, did anybody else go to Todd Green and the cassuary research? Yes, sorry. I did. I, saw a bit I was of that. very much hoping to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy that very much. And again, again Todd is a great friend of Jennifer's who, who gave the talk about the crows. Yes, I did see some of that from outside the room. <laughs> so I saw the trailer for the documentary and some other little few bits before that talking about cassowary behavior, how he went to Australia and saw cassowaries in the wild for the first time, the sort of pictures of his delighted reaction seeing cassowaries, which was yeah. really sweet. Uh, Todd's that is, of course. So, yes, and we chatted with them, So and we recorded it, and I think that one came out okay. So That, that one did, yeah. Yeah, that will feature after this. So no one saw the crocodile thing, did they? Did they even go ahead? I can't remember. I did. I saw Yvonne Heckler's Man-Eaters, Mummies, and Madagascar, Sacred and Secret Tales from Cryptic Crocodiles. Um, although I must confess, um, this usually would, would have been something that, uh, that I would have really enjoyed because Yvonne, again, um, is another person from the humanities background who went into the sciences. Um, and, and there was a lot that I could relate to. Unfortunately, I was starting to feel very ill <laughs> by that yeah. point. So although I sat the talk through, um, a lot of it just didn't stay in my completely mushy brain by that point. Um, so I, I oh, do yeah. apologize, um, both to Yvonne and to everybody else, <laughs> because I'm unable to relate to you what exactly the whole crux of the talk was. I mean, I was there for moral support, at least, <laughs> if nothing else. <laughs> well, so I am, I'm sorry there about you go. that. Okay. So well, I'm glad you be saw it and yeah um, and, and then teams. after that i just beat a history treat <laughs> and i did i did go to i did go see the uh show and tell in the paleo art room yeah so i saw some people show and tell some paleo art and that was actually really great um i don't quite remember uh everyone who i saw but there were uh traditional artists there were digital artists there were quite a few people working on video games which was really interesting uh, we have some video game developers uh, on the show later as well. That is a side of, of well, paleo media and paleo arts that kind of goes under discussed 
on this podcast and also kind of on the blog. We have Sophie on board now who occasionally talks about video games, but I don't think any mm. of us are big gamers. No, not really. No, it's sadly. So, so that bit kind of goes under-discussed, but really interesting yeah. things happen happening on yes. the video game front right that, now. That sounds so interesting. So I wanted to mention that. And I, I would really have loved to go to the show and tell as well, but again, because it ran concurrently with everything else, I, I missed yeah. all of it. And, obviously and, it's, I, and I, I wanted to say, it's really amazing how much one person can do because there was this whole demo of, of a dinosaur strategy game that just one woman had just cooked up in her own bedroom. I kind of forgot her name, but it was fascinating to watch. It had tyrannosaurs fighting with swords and everything. And yeah, she did all that by herself. Wow. Just just the, the amazing things that people can achieve just by themselves with Blender and a bit of time now. That is that is fascinating yeah, to me. Yeah, completely mind-boggling. I do not know how anyone does that. I'm always in complete awe and respect of such people. Well, me too. It's uh, fantastic. That was just the morning, and then we had lunch. And during lunch, there was a screening of The Lost World, or there was supposed to be, but the scheduling didn't work out, or something went wrong, and the screening ends up being later. And I ended up basically going in there when I couldn't get into the prehistoric planet... <laughs> room because yep. it was like for some reason they thought oh yeah they, they thought oh yeah let's put it in the paleo art room like there'll be you know 10 people turning up or something but obviously there were hordes of people interested in prehistoric planet and it's got there a bit late and was denied entry and they weren't allowing people to stand outside so i had to go i had i'm sorry dave i had to go to the lost world screening and sit there and then there's basically lost it was basically like at the movies with dave hone and occasionally dave would pipe up and say something like look there's inertia feeding that's really cool and then pipe down again or you know the the, the pterosaur <laughs> is quite good or that sort of thing that pterosaur is actually really good for the time look at the way they've done that blah 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 and um yeah what, what did you make of the movie mark i enjoyed the movie i haven't seen it before i could see i, I was aware that willis o'brien worked on it who also worked on king Kong. i was expecting the stop motion to be very good for the time and it is it's quite remarkable is, yeah. what they pulled off uh, nearly a hundred years ago, especially at the end with the Brontosaurus rampaging through London and yeah. doing that in 1925 must have been some undertaking. I, I must say that even understanding that it was a product of its time and all that sort of oh, thing. Oh, the racism, yeah. My my uh, <laughs> tolerance for racism gets lower every year. <laughs> there was, yeah, there was a bit of racism in it. Oh, um... Was this version... It wasn't an adaptation of the Doyle book, was it? It just happens to have the same title. I think it was, actually. It was, yeah. So it had the plateau and Professor Oh, James it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, it was an adaptation. Right, um, I see. So I was quite impressed. And right. I guess quite nice to have Dave piping up occasionally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Later on, we had Nigel Marvin. Uh, Nigel Marvin, yes. Another stub. He was a real, yeah, he, I mean, he was the last lecture so to lecture talk so yeah he was the, the real star pitting of the whole thing and of course he talked about his filming and his work and mostly wildlife filming and the tricks of the trade some of his favorite experiences of course and there was a bit of working on some of the prehistoric stuff as well yeah it wasn't anything world shattering but i think it was very entertaining and uh he is just this this very positive presence who is very good at sharing his enthusiasm with the world and the fact that it was in a slightly smaller room made it a bit more intimate and a bit more personal, and I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed it for what it was. What was the name of that series where it's like different oceans throughout 
time and you had uh, the, sea monsters yeah that's it so you had duncan Ostius and um the western interior coa and whatever yeah, but i've seen that a bunch of times that that's that's my favorite of of, of his but they he spoiled the ending for me because someone asked do you did you all die at the end was that the, was that the implication that you're all eaten by mosasaurs he said no no apparently the official lines will survive <laughs> and i was like what that's rubbish I, I always enjoyed the fact that they implied they all were eaten at the end because it was just like such a amusing wry little like self-deprecating detail to throw in there yeah. like, the, the, like this idea it was, it was just it was just darkly funny i thought they all get eaten at the end i always yeah. i always really liked that the fact that they put that in but no no apparently they all live somehow i guess nigel marvin like they all pulled out guns and started blasting away you know <laughs> <laughs> mosasaurs or, or they activated yeah. the tardis or whatever they were using to um you know go back back T- to the time future. gates they were time gates oh they had time gates in that I thought that yeah. was pre- that was prehistoric park. Prehistoric yeah. park. I'm getting really confused now. Yeah, uh, they, I, they, they, they didn't have an explicit means of time travel in the Sea Monster no. show. No, should have used the TARDIS. It was just like, oh well, we're 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 in the Devonian now. <laughs> oh well, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did queue up uh, for the uh, the signing session with him uh, in the hopes that we could get him on the show, but it was a non-starter. It was it was too busy, and we wanted to. <laughs> we we would have yeah. been there. Yeah, yeah, I don't think we would have got to the end of the queue before it was time to like leave, or he or it's time for him to leave because he wasn't going to there all afternoon. He went had to go somewhere. Also, I uh, I wanted to do the quiz. Huh, more fool me. <laughs> yeah, the quiz. Um, the quiz is, is always really hard. And it was pretty hard. And I once again got a prize for, for turning up, which is why yes. basically why I turn up in there now. Because I have no hope at the quiz, but sometimes at the end, Darren says, What about if someone has been oh, to every Tetsukon? Like, me, me. And then, uh, so See, yeah. I would have got that prize too. Yeah, you would have. You would have. Yeah, you I'm would sorry. have. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Uh If it helps, I, I mean, I've got a how long good um, Iranosaurus and Agatha was really, really annoyed. But about that because <laughs> she no, she just about it does not help because sorry <laughs> <laughs> because i would i would have been extremely annoyed too <laughs> she she was just about under the threshold no. to get a prize just for her score he, yeah he went down to like 17 or something i think she got 15 um i think it was 15 yeah and so she was like oh i'll be next and then he switched was like who's the youngest person in here who's the oldest person in here who's the tallest person who's got the longest beard or whatever and then um <laughs> And it was like, he's been to every Tetsu card. I was like, me. And who's been to all of them? And it isn't Richard Hing who'd already won a prize. Obviously, obviously, <laughs> obviously, Hing had won a prize again. Like every year he comes at least like second. Um, but... I, I got only 11 points this time. I was absolutely <laughs> rubbish. That's the worst I've ever done. And it didn't end there because the next day a bunch of us went to London Zoo and met up. Um, Niels and Agatha and I got there late and had to try and find everyone else eventually, which we did manage in the end. Which we did, yeah. And a good time was had by all. Um, yeah, and we've got really close up view of a sloth in the tropical house thing. I mean, that sloth, it was worth coming all the way from the Netherlands to London just for that. Really? Just for a sloth? <laughs> okay. That was great. I loved it. I came to London and all I saw was this well, lousy it was a, sloth. It was a good view of it. I mean, that's <laughs> it the... was. Exceptional view of a sloth. I'm only describing this yeah. from pictures, obviously, because I wasn't there. Boo hoo. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so that was another exhausting Tetsucon over. And what, what do we learn? I learned that if I go to Tetsucon, it doesn't matter how tired I am, I won't sleep because I'm just constantly thinking about all the things that I've encountered during the day in it. So 
Um, I'm not the kind of person to usually suffer from no, being overly stimulated, but I was overly stimulated. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. It's yes, always, it's always like this for me because I am exhausted at the end of each day, but I'm unable to sleep because of all the things I'd seen. So yeah, um, it, this is the same every year. But yes. Yes. It it was particularly overwhelming this time around. It was bigger uh, than I, ever. I see. Yeah, by it virtue was, of it being the biggest. It yeah, was bigger exactly. than ever. Next year, it's promising to be bigger still. Next year, it's being held and, at Wembley uh, Stadium. Well, yeah. if that's going to be the case, um, I, I don't know if I may hazard the very impertinent suggestion of holding it over several more days if necessary oh and not have so many parallel events that I'll we have, have no money left. left. I actually think um, that Darren is implying that this might happen. Oh my god, no. So... That would absolutely kill me. <laughs> no. It would kill me too. So yeah, all this yeah. being overwhelmed stuff, uh... yeah, it ain't getting better. <laughs> okay. But maybe but maybe the the this the drip feed of it will be better than our having to run here and there and everywhere trying to choose between the different talks in a day. Maybe having just a it's, linear series of things. It's going to be stuffed with dogs wall to wall. Well, it's funny. I remember the first one because we're on the tenth one this year, and I remember the first one basically. But people were quietly milling around, no more than about seventy people, just sort of. And everyone was quite awkward because we didn't know each other. And now you go in, and it's like, oh, hi, Steve, hi, Jim, hi, Mark, <laughs> hi, hi, John. You know, just like... no, but no, but we we do really enjoy this sort of thing. Uh, I I always enjoy meeting up with all these lovely people. I always enjoy seeing all those talks, going to the activities, going to the zoo, going to do all the things associated with it, seeing all the yeah. art, uh, engaging with all those incredibly talented people. That's, that's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, if I can, I'll, I'll be back next year. And, uh, I, I think we all are, no matter how many yeah. Loch Ness monsters and big foots there are. And British big cats. You can't forget those. <laughs> no, um, never forget those. No. So yes. And we obviously interviewed a few people and most of the time it worked. We were relying on not exactly professional <laughs> equipment, <laughs> like my, yeah. my phone um, and a microphone with two converters on it. We, to... we interviewed a bunch of people and some of the files, unfortunately did get corrupted. Uh, yeah. We interviewed Sean Hennessy and uh, we couldn't oh, no. use that file. Yeah. We interviewed Andrew Stuck, the Dino Dad, uh, oh, who, uh, who we were hanging out with a, a lot. Uh, and his was first a great time, guy. Sorry, it was his first time abroad, wasn't it? Never mind, like outside the United yeah. States. Never and mind. we completely ruined it. We ruined his entire <laughs> we ruined <trip>. everything. <laughs> I meant to mention it earlier when Neil said that we ran into each other at the Natural History Museum, that Andrew and I were there. Um, and I, I, I had been showing him around um, as the, his first time in London. And his first, uh, naturally, to to London's Natural History Museum, and that was when when Niels ran into us. And yeah, I um, I spent uh, quite a significant amount of time with Andrew um, in the intervals of of the conference. And yeah, and I would very much have liked to have speak uh, to have spoken or to have done the interview rather with with Andrew. But obviously, things being what they were, um, I couldn't make it. So, um, so I'm sad to hear that that the interview that you did with him instead didn't um, didn't come through. Yeah. So we we owe you an interview with both of them, with uh, Sean Hennessy and yes, Andrew. The absolutely. other interview that sadly got corrupted, and I'm I am very bummed about this, is with uh, uh, Maxim. Yeah. Who is um, I'm really who is annoyed. a fan of the podcast, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really heartbroken about this, Maxim, if you're listening. But your file did get corrupted, and. Uh, yeah, I, I know you were very keen on, on being on the podcast. So, unfortunately, uh, 
that file didn't turn out to be usable. It's entirely our fault. I take complete responsibility for that. Hopefully there will be another um, opportunity in the future for uh, for you yeah. to be on the podcast in uh, one way or another. That's a real shame, but I did want to give a shout out to Maxim as well. Thanks for listening. Yes, and his mum too. My booming voice, apparently. I didn't realize I was so booming, but apparently I'm booming. I mean, it might be just the volume that they play at, um, in the house, but yeah, thanks for, thank you for listening and for agreeing to be interviewed, even though the interview got screwed up. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Um, if, if you're there next year, oh, that is we'll try again. We did really enjoy uh, having you there and meeting you. So uh, yeah. Yes. Thanks for your support. Shout out, shout out to you. Well, I'm, I'm very sad not to have met him in that case. So uh, that was the sad bit. We do have a bunch of interviews that we did get to do, so without further ado, here they are. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. Hello. Yeah, so that's picking up. Who's going to go? Shall I go? You go? You, you, you start. All right. Well, we're here at TetsuCon with Jim Robbins. Um, Good afternoon. <laughs> Oh, I see. It has to be directed. Hello. Good afternoon. Are you editing this? <laughs> it's a good thing because I can't think at all. Um, yeah. So, Jim, you're here with the incredibly ancient Paleo Art Emporium. Of course. Mostly things from the Dinosaurus magazine that we all worked on many years ago. So, extremely briefly, then, how did you come to be involved with the, uh, the Dinosaurs magazine from many years ago that we all so fondly remember? Because I illustrated for encyclopedias. I did a lot of paleontology, paleontological drawings before, um, and a whole range of different things for the encyclopedia market. So, that's where it started, and that's how I led into that. So, what sort of time did you start getting involved in paleoart generally before the dinosaurs stuff? Mm, I was working on encyclopedias in the 1970s, so it was Dorling Kindersley. This particularly, um, so I was drawing in paleontology then, but also a lot of other things, technical subjects as well. A great mass of different sort of diagrams, but it was that was really I think the the dinosaurs magazine was really the the start of the sort of things I do now. And um, who are your key influences at that time? Would you say um, I used to work under Giovanni Caselli. Uh, you no, know, you remember him? He was. Uh, he was quite a name in the 1960s and 70s. He's still alive, just about. But, um. <laughs> yeah, it's um, the Evolution and Ecology of the Dinosaurs was this big, really big book, the really famous one. Yeah, and also the there was a he illustrated a large dinosaur book for um, um, a name I can't remember, but he was one of he and his daughter. And the name I'm trying to think of were very significant in sort of paleontological thinking again in the 1960s. Yeah. So, um, uh, what's to say? Well, what, what brings you here other than flogging stuff, or is it purely flogging stuff? Can you say that all again? Because <laughs> um, you have been here a few times in the past, although you don't necessarily come every time. I mean, do you enjoy being here and meeting everyone? And yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit nerve-wracking, and it's also I find that what I have is thirty years old. My drawings are 30 years old, and I look around, and there's all these wonderful things, these fabulous 3D models and superb pieces of artwork, things that run and jump. Um, I think I have to up my act. Surely if anyone's going to... You know, if ever have an audience that's appreciative of stuff that's... Uh, I can place it in its context and appreciate it for 
Lawrence, then it's going to be the nostalgia market. <laughs> yes, the nostalgia market, which you've pretty much cornered with us, um, like 30 somethings at this point, I think. Definitely. But uh, yeah, all right. Shall we? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, good. Thank you. And here we are with our good friend Reese Griffin. Reese, how are you? I'm I'm fine. I'm good. I'm having a great time. It's lovely so, to see everybody again. Yeah, lovely to see everybody again. Say, so, uh, you've been here obviously quite a few times, haven't you? How, how many have you been to now? I think the first one I came to was the second one, where I met you guys, which is in the Wetland Centre which was a lot, lot smaller than this one, which was, I think the size now of the Paleo Art Workshop was the size of the original Tet Zoo. And it felt like being at an extended family gathering almost. Um, but how many I've been to, I can't quite remember. Um, yeah, a lot of water on the bridge since then, um, especially with regard to Crystal Palace and what you've been up to there. So I mean, how much can you tell us? What can you tell us about the scanning? Well, several years ago, actually starting in 2018, uh, I started with uh, another, one of the board members, Anthony Lewis, who was helping me out in the beginning. We started a, an effort to do a digital archive of all the sculptures. Um, and initially it wasn't going to be detailed digital scans. We were thinking of making another film about them. We wanted to animate one of them. And I had the idea that why don't we just scan one of them or try and digitally scan them. And it expanded. The, the early results were so encouraging that it just expanded into a, a dedicated effort to actually do a detailed 3D digital archive of all the sculptures on the islands, which has just more or less been completed now, uh, this year. So we're showing the renders of the final models now for the first time, the final high-resolution models. It's incredible, incredibly important for the conservation as well. And you are now walking around here with a copy of the original Hylosaurus skull head rather than your hand. Yes. Is, uh... Well, this is uh, an initial uh, first attempt at 3D printing from some of the work that we've done. And it's a freestanding Hylosaur head that... Um, fell off some time ago and now it has a fiberglass prosthesis but the original head is sort of freestanding in the park so it was very accessible so it was the first thing I scanned and it was like it was basically the proof of concept that we could do the well I could attempt the full-size um, statues it, it was a project that um, it was like a tale that grew in the telling I, I never realized it was going to be so much work when I started it just it just took up all my, almost all my spare time for, for about three years. Mainly, most of the work was done during the pandemic. And um, in the end, it was just too much work for me. And later on, Historic England officially got involved to do a site-wide, a, a whole site survey. And then they came and scanned the sculptures that I hadn't done yet, which was good because it left me free to really focus on the ones that I'd already done which were enough work in themselves because it was most of the biggest ones. So the four big dinosaurs and the pterosaurs, everything on the main island. I just wanted to say, Reese, um, I've been seeing those scans of yours. They are incredibly intricate. And it's going to be so important to have that around to, to keep those Crystal Palace dinosaurs preserved for the future. So I just wanted to let you know that. 
Oh, thank you so much. Oh, it's good to know it's all been worth it because um, a lot of the work was sort of, I, you know, it was just done in the quiet with barely any, you know, any publicity. But a lot of that was also to do with just being able to get on with the work, with not, not wanting to tell too many people about it, you know. But also there wasn't a lot to show because for a long time everything was in pieces, you know. <laughs> and um, I did a short presentation last year on some of the work, but then it was, it was quite difficult because I didn't have finished detailed models ready um, because it's just been slow, meticulous work um, doing it all the way through. Yeah, but you've, you've really got some spectacular results. Thanks. Thank, thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I'm glad that everyone, you know, and, and hopefully we can show the sculptures in a new dynamic way with these renders and these, these um, scans in a way that you don't normally see them and from angles that you wouldn't normally see them because just all over they're incredible. They're quite incredible shapes and forms to see. You've shown that... Um that close-up of the Hyliosaurus, it's like a piece of geology in itself. Yeah, it's incredible. And I think a lot of it has maybe been quite sensitive to the... Well, aware of that because of being so close up to them. So it's sort of like wanting to show everybody else the sort of sense that I got of them from sort of having the privilege of being able to be so close to them for so long. That was my reward, really, was being on that island to do the work. I was say, it's really exciting to feel any to finally be able to see them in 3D space from all those different angles from above and below yeah. and all over the place yeah. and really get a better appreciation of the art and the, um, well, the craft that went into them in the first place. Yeah, bringing them into the modern age, making them new and dynamic and, uh, well, relevant. You know, again, you know, well, I say they always are because obviously paleo art and paleo science is always an ongoing, changing thing that's always dynamic and always moving. I mean, for me as well, they, more than anything, there's, for me, there's a sort of brooding romanticism about the site and about the sculptures. And I think, for me, they just speak of the, the mystery of deep time more than it, you know. Um, the phrase, dragons are the prime, you know, from the Tennyson poem is what always comes into my head. The dragons are the prime. Uh, they, they have this incredible, you know, the feeling of when people were first becoming aware of the immensity of life on it. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're the only thing we have, apart from some of the paintings and drawings of that time, they're the only big, substantial thing from that time that are a record of that, of that point in time, that very short period of time of where the sort of chasm of deep time first opened and people first started looking into it and realising it was there. And, um, yeah, very important that they have to stay there and be preserved. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Reese, thank you very much. Uh, I think that was very beautifully put. Enjoy the, rest of the, enjoy the rest of the convention. You too, and good luck with the podcast and the site. I've been a fan for many years, as you know. Yeah, it's an honour to be on, your, on the podcast. Well, that's great. Lovely to meet up again as well. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks, Reese. Thank you. Are we rolling? Yes, we're rolling. Okay, we are here at TetsuCon 2023. We're talking to Todd Green, a.k.a. the Cassowary Kid. Hi, Todd, how are you? Doing well. How are you doing today? 
I'm, I'm great. We're also talking to his uh, BFF, AJ. AJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I hope you are too. <laughs> yes, I am. Thanks. So, um, Todd, you just gave a talk about uh, cassowaries. Would you mind uh, telling us what it was about? Yes, yeah, so uh, I've loved cassowaries for a very long time, so I talked a little bit about my background in cassowaries. I've loved them since I was four years old, and I do a lot of research on cassowaries. I'm one of the few people that do research on cassowaries. Um, one of the only other people who has put out a paper about cassowaries in the last decade is Darren Nash, hence why we became friends and why I was invited to this event. Um, but we are talking about some of the research we're doing with their casks. We're trying to understand what their cranial ornaments on top of their heads are for um, and how that can help us better understand their life history. Um, if we uh, can kind of determine what these casks are more likely to function in, we can better understand their biology and therefore better uh, help with their conservation. Okay, excellent. Now you're, uh, you're working on a movie. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? and? Uh how people can get involved with that. Yes, I'd be happy to. Yeah, we're very excited about our documentary. So this documentary is going to focus on cassowaries, obviously. And our aim for doing the, the documentary is to make cassowaries more accessible to the general public. We want people to understand that these birds exist, and that's the best way in which we can teach people about the birds and conserve them. The film that we are we're working on is going to be filmed in the United States, where I'm from. It's going to be filmed here in the UK because the UK actually has a very rich cassowary history with Walter Rothschild and the enormous collection that he amounted here. Uh, and we're going to try to get to Australia too to see some of the birds in the wild. Um, nothing can nothing can beat seeing a cassowary in the wild. So, um, how can people help you uh, support this film? So our film is called Life with Living Dinosaurs, uh, Cassowary Kid. And you can visit our website at www.lifewithlivingdinosaurs.com. And you can find out some ways to donate there. We have some wonderful options for you for little perks for donating specific tiers. Um, and really, we would just like people to spread the word about cassowaries and about what we're trying to do. Because uh, it's, it's always a challenge teaching people about a bird that no one knows exists. Yeah, they're amazing creatures, aren't they? They are absolutely wonderful. Yeah, we're, all, uh, we're also talking to Todd's best friend here, AJ. Hi, AJ, how are you? I'm doing good. So, uh, how old are you, AJ? Eleven. Eleven, and uh, where are you from? Oklahoma. So you've been, uh, you've been Todd's friend for a while now. Uh, how did you two meet up? How did that happen? So we had, my dad had went to USA, and not USA. <laughs> I, I don't if remember you make any mistake, I'll edit it out. I don't remember the name, but... He had asked him if he could talk to me since we both shared an interest in dinosaurs. And then we've just been friends since then. Yeah, and you're also into cassowaries? Yes, ever since he introduced me to them. Yeah, were you, did you even know that cassowaries existed before you met Todd? No. No, no, m many people didn't. No, not a lot of people still do not know about them. Yeah, but is it like maybe... They are kind of the most dinosaur-like of all living animals, aren't they? I mean, they're pretty dinosaur-like. I can't name a more dinosaur-like animal. No, neither can I. Well, um, I, uh, I, I guess you're uh, involved with the movie as well. What are you going to do? I'll obviously be along for the trip and help in certain ways. I'm not 100% sure. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really fun either way. And it's just going to be a good learning experience. I, I, I think it is. And speaking of great experiences, here you are in London, 
At Ted Sukon, how are you enjoying yourself so far? It's, it's amazing. It, I've never gone to a convention before, and this is a good way to start conventions. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Well, we're really glad to have you here, uh, AJ. We're glad to have you, Todd. Uh, thank you both for, uh, for talking to us, and uh, we'll hope to see you again. Yeah, I hope to see you again, too. It was great being here. See you next time. Yeah, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. All right, it is Tetsukon, and we are talking here to Jake Keen, who is with Neo Jurassica. Hello, Jake, how are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, just here with the stall for Neo Jurassica, here to talk about our scanning services and availability for uh, CT scanning, surface scanning, 3D printing, all the fun stuff in paleontology, I think. Yeah, so uh, explain to me exactly what it is that you do at Neo Jurassica. Oh, well, it's, in a, in a short way of saying, it would be professional paleontology, so we do excavations which is obviously the exciting eye-catching thing we also do um, secondary services for um, uh, scanning post-processing so as I said we've got a new uh, CT lab opening up micro CT lab uh, we also have surface scanning for uh, availability so we go around the country scanning museums and uh, objects in there and recreating them in all sorts of different flavors for uh, for resin projects so we've got um, some standard resin printers, FDM printers, uh, and color printers, which is the other exciting thing. I wish I could show you a picture for your podcast, unfortunately. It's uh, just, <laughs> just a visual cue here, but it, it looks lovely. It's, uh, it's a full color recreation of a Confucius Ornus uh, that we've had printed on a Stratasys J750. This is using photogrammetric data. Um, and it looks, I know you can't see this, it looks... We'll have a picture of it on the show notes. Oh, fantastic, good. Okay, you can see it then. Um, yeah, we, uh, there is also a uh, large robot plesiosaur, in the, uh, which is sort of the elephant in the room. It's, uh, working with a Luke Musket, uh, a, uh, an engineer who's uh, working on the hydrodynamics of plesiosaurs and has built uh, Flip, the amazing dynamic... Uh, flip. Flip, the uh, <laughs> amazing dynamic uh, swimming plesiosaur. So it's the first scientifically accurate plesiosaur. We can't take credit for the design, but we did do uh, the 3D printing for it and uh, the funding for it through uh, the Auction Astro Museum as well, which is where we're based. All right. And it's here and we can play with it, which is the main thing. We can, we can fiddle with the knobs. Yeah. yeah, it's good fun. So what are the services that you offer to uh, paleontologists who come to you? Um, if you're a research paleontologist, we can offer you access to our CT scanner. We have a quite a lot of availability at the minute. We've just opened up um, so uh, a lot of CT labs at the minute, you have to, uh, there's a waiting list of about uh, three to six months. Me, I could probably fit you in next week if you ask me nicely. Um, we've also got uh, surface scanning, but also actually the CT stuff. Uh, even if you're not a researcher, you can bring in an object for, for £60 and we'll, we'll do a full scan of that and I'll uh, work you through the data and we'll, we'll have a good time looking inside some incredible objects, which is most of what we're doing recently, which is just, just fantastic stuff. We've seen some incredible things in, um, in, skull, in dinosaur skulls, in amber, and all, all the stuff you can imagine with uh, CT data. Well, what I've got on the table is some, um, some research we're doing with pliosaur teeth. Um, so it's Richard Forrest and uh, Darren Withers have collected a bunch of, um, I'm not sure what the species is, truth be told, uh, some, uh, some pliosaur teeth from the Oxford clays, and we're just going through that and looking at the, the lag lines and... Uh, yeah, it's ongoing research that was a part of his, his, his talk today at TetsuCon. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. So you're working to bring this technical bleeding edge of CT scanning and making it more available to, uh, to the general 
researching uh, researching paleontologists who in the past maybe have not been able to afford this sort of thing. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I think with, with the Yorkshire Natural History Museum, so we, we like to do things at a good price. Um, so yeah, for £40 an hour is a, is a fantastic rate for, uh, for amateur collectors who want, maybe they've found something that they think would be interesting to see inside a CT scanner. Uh, but we're kind of offering that availability, not just to researchers, but also, you know, uh, mom and pop style preparators who maybe have an idea of how they want to prep something. Um, so one of the advantages of doing a CT scan is you can see exactly where you need to prep before you prep. So I've been working close with our preparator, Alison Park, at the Oxford National History Museum. Um, we're prepping some, uh, some exciting fish at the minute, and um, she, was, she was looking for a, for a paddle inside of it. It's moved over to the other side. I don't know where it is. Um, so I'm like, right, it's my lunch break. We've got an hour. Let me take that section. And so I put it through the CT scanner, and we looked at the radiographs together and immediately saw where the fin was. It was on the other side, all sort of... <laughs> Uh, it completely disarticulated in the complete wrong position to be prepped out in any meaningful way. So we knew that one. So that was a, a nice save of time for her. Um, we've also been looking at ammonite blocks, you know, greenstone ammonites, uh, Lyme Regis ammonites, and of course, Yorkshire ammonites, uh, all of which come out with some degrees of... Uh, uh, so the results do vary, but you can always get something really useful out of each scan. We've never had a scan where we've found nothing useful so far, which is really, really the driving factor there. Okay, really cool. Where can people find you? So we're based in Sheffield at the Yorkshire Natural History Museum. I'll give you the address, why not? We're 149 Home Lane. But if you just Google um, Yorkshire Natural History Museum slash Neo Jurassica, whatever you find us, you'll, uh, you'll find us online. Or you can also email me at jake.keen at neojurassica.org for any inquiries for uh, CT scanning, surface scanning, 3D printing. Just ask me. I'll know. <laughs> I'll sort you out. Well, great stuff. Jake Keen, thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much. All right, we're here stuck in a queue waiting for Nigel Marvin, but I'm talking here to Emma. Hello, Emma, how are you? Hello, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> so uh, tell us about your work for Jurassic Park Frontier, Jurassic World Frontier, is that right? <laughs> it's Jurassic World Evolution 2. Jurassic World Evolution 2. Frontier's the developer, yes. Yeah. Oh, of course, uh, you did, um, did, you, did you do um, Planet, Planet Coaster, is that Frontier? That is also Frontier, yes. Okay, so that's where I know the developer from. Okay, that's cool. So you work for Frontier then. You've been uh, working on Jurassic World 2 Evolution, that's right. Yes. <laughs> so I do the concept art, so I do the very first step, which is designing the animal, um, looking at the skeleton, muscle, anatomy, coloration, all that good paleo stuff, paleo art. <laughs> okay, so, so you are in the uh, privileged position of actually seeing your art come to life in, in an animated way and in a playable way. How, how cool is that? It's amazing every single time. It doesn't get old. Um, the other people at Frontier are so talented and seeing this 2D image become 3D and then become animated with behavior and sound, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. So is it like a zoo building game? How, how, uh, how should I imagine this? Um, well, if you're familiar with the Jurassic Park films or Jurassic World films, um, it is a, um, a park builder, but it's in that um, setting where you, you get to meet um, all the characters from the films. You get to build uh, a park with all the dinosaurs from the films, like the classic Velociraptor, classic Rexy. Um, 
the DLC offers some new dinosaurs that are not in the films. I was going to say, um, so you mentioned you're working on fluffy ones, working fluffy dinosaurs. So you're doing your bit to get properly feathered dinosaurs into the Jurassic World franchise, do you think? I'm just doing my part. <laughs> I mean, once the films um, had some feathered dinosaurs in them, that was amazing, that was really fun for us all to see, and that was kind of our cue to get going with some cool, more accurate, um, feathered, fluffy dinosaurs, and uh, yeah, bring them into the game. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the Lord's work. Somebody needs to do it. I've, I've seen some of those designs around before, and uh, they do look considerably closer to what's out in contemporary paleo art than what's in the films, as in, which is good, by the way, in my opinion. Uh, so, yeah, it's good to see. So, so the Uteraptor, for example, that's one of the latest DLC animals that I'm really happy to see how much people love the Uteraptor. Um, the main inspiration for me for that um, was uh, combining the class, what made the... Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's, that's Megan next to us shouting. <laughs> okay, so, right, the Uteraptor, one of the main inspirations, you know, adding in the science, I do really like the original Velociraptor designs from the first Jurassic Park films. They're so of course, they're, they're part of popular culture, aren't they? And my goal was to make a new raptor species that would look like it fits in with that family. Um, so if you line them all up together... Um, I mean, the Uteraptor stands out a little bit, but I wanted them to still have that characteristic Velociraptor vibe about them. Yeah, I imagine it's quite a challenge. Yeah, <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> You've been enjoying TetsuCon so far? Yeah, it's been amazing. I was telling people this is like my Comic-Con. <laughs> Same here. Thank you so much, Emma. You're welcome. And there you have it. That was TetsuCon 2023. Well, uh, even though we didn't quite have 100% the event that we wanted, particularly Unity, I'm very sorry that you had to leave. Um, still, it's a great event, isn't it? Every year. Yes. I'm yes. still tired from it. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> But it's great. No, but but really, yes, we enjoy it, and and we still look forward to it every year. And uh, absolutely, and uh, look forward to many more to come. There's a reason I've been to all of the in-person ones. I had to miss yeah. one of the Zoom ones. I can't remember why, but that they, they don't count anyway. And you know, of course, the reason that it keeps growing is that once you've been, you don't leave, do you? No, it's like Hotel I mean, California. It was my third one. I've been to all of them since since my first yeah, one. You can never leave. You're now part of the niche cult. Oh, all hail the niche. <laughs> all hail the niche. Anyway. <laughs> this has been our 30th episode. Thank you very much all for listening. Yeah, sorry about the lack of vintage dinosaur art in this one. There'll be more next time. There will be vintage dinosaur art in the next one, I'm sure. Plenty um, to come, yes. Of plenty to come. Also, uh, this is probably going out somewhere between Christmas and New Year. I am very tempted to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, but I'm sure Christmas is already done by the time you've heard this. Happy New Year, if it's too late for Christmas. Happy New Year. So, yes. So, we want to yes. wish you instead a very Happy New Year. And, and uh... Happy Christmas, depending on how fast I am. <laughs> or... Or if, like me, your Christmas does consist of 12 days and runs up all the way to Epiphany. Yes, of course. And if you're in Italy, of course, uh, uh, the, the 
Epiphany Witch comes to bring you presents. What? Yes, Befana is her name. Yeah, her name oh, is okay. Befana. Didn't know about that one. She, she comes to deliver gifts yes. um, to to children. Yeah, at Christmas. Okay, that's enough weird Christmas stuff. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you so much to all our listeners uh, for listening to the podcast, of course, and for your support on Patreon and uh, in every other way. Um, and we look forward to to well to podcasting for you some more in the new year. And happy new year to all from all of us. Yes, we'll be back next month with more dinosaur-centric stuff, I should say. And an interview, one interview with exactly. somebody who does dinosaur things. <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, that was number 30. Uh, back to your regularly scheduled Love in a Time of Chasmosaurus podcast next time. Thank you so much for listening, and I wish you all a happy new year and a good night. Goodbye. Thank you for listening, especially Maxim. Thanks, Maxim. <laughs> Thanks, Maxim. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Love in the Time of Chasmosaurus. Your hosts were Nati Himapan, Mark Vincent, and me, Niels Haasborg. You can find all links and images we discussed today on our blog at chasmosaurus.com. You can find us on Twitter at Chasmosaurus and on Facebook at Love in the Time of Chasmosaurus. If you want to give us your support, please give us a comment or a good review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also support us at patreon.com slash litc. Our music is by Rohan Long, who can be found at bronzewing.bandcamp.com. Stay safe, look after each other, and we hope to see you again soon.